0: Gearwebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches. Every Friday is Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at Gearwebsites.com. Askgunquestions.com is a website that we built back in 2007. And since then, for the last 15 years, people have been able to ask, questions of simple to advanced nature, and we attempt to answer them in different ways over the years. Join us now as we start a new series to answer gun questions. Oh, sitting here with no sound. There we go. Got clover in here now. So I guess I'm starting all over again. (sighs) Do this again. I didn't realize I was muted. So sorry about that, everybody. Uh, This is askgunquestions.com. We come to you live every Saturday morning, afternoon, depending on what part of the country you're in. And we uh, answer gun questions that come into the website, askgunquestions.com. Yeah, it's been like the intro said, we've been had had that site up for a long time, and people have asked all kinds of questions. For the people that listen to the show live, we record this thing live on YouTube and some of the other streaming platforms occasionally. For the people that show up live on Saturdays and listen to the show, uh, we have a poll. We're using the poll feature of the YouTube software. So um, I'm assuming my sound is working now, right? Getting a sound check. Yeah good on this man thanks so uh i was going to say this week i was wondering why nobody was offering any suggestions this week for those of you who are showing up live offer a suggestion so what we should do for the poll if not clover's coming up with the poll all right so with all that said uh sorry about the sloppy introduction here clover's joining us from texas thanks for joining I'm muted uh yeah glad to be here as always Uh, Tony is driving around. Actually, he just got to some event. I saw him on the Play Society podcast earlier. They had a pretty good lineup with him, Charlie, and Beth Alcazar. Joining Paul for the, uh, I guess it's the weekly bullet. And uh, um, I think Tony's walking into something. But Tony is our third host that normally joins us on a Saturday. Uh, My goal is to bring people together who have been gun owners our whole lives uh, from different walks of life in different parts of the country and different interests and uh, experiences. But what we do bring together is an interest and uh, a common, I don't know, value of uh, offering our insight to other people. Or maybe it's just the, uh, we like like spinning yarn, so it gives us a chance to spin some yarn. So we get together on Saturday and we answer questions. So let's see, so no one's asking any questions yet. So I did give them some opportunity. Clover, you got any ideas for a poll question today?
1: Um, Yeah. How about um, do you feel comfortable working on your own firearms?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Did you come up with that one out of nowhere or is that something that you've been working on?
1: Uh, No, it's just off the top of my head. I was having to be thinking about that's. You know, yeah, I was kind of thinking, you know, some things are more complicated than others. There's a lot of nuance to that question, but, you know, that's going to be different depending on what somebody's into. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I've got a lot of Marlin Model 60s, for example, and, and that's been one of my, uh, you know, collectible niches and things like that. That is not one of the easiest to work on and <laughs> tear down and clean and other things, but I'm super comfortable with it because I've done it so many times, so.
0: So I'm going to go with, because I don't know what to use. I like to put a range in here. Uh, Done it when necessary. So we got, uh, yeah, I'm a gunsmith level. Or yes, I'm a gunsmith level. Yeah, I have done it when necessary.
1: Maybe, maybe thank God for YouTube. You know, that might be a good option.
0: Oh, yeah. About uh, uh, just YouTube stuff. I'll put it like that. Just you stuff and then i like to leave the last one for sometimes if uh federal agents are watching this uh, either for training or for investigations or whatever they're doing i leave them when it says because uh, it's sort of like uh when the cops are undercover they can you can't they have you can ask them if they're a cop and they have to tell you i don't know how that works but thus i figure it that way they have to choose that one if they're a federal agent. Sure. All right. So, uh, yeah, that was a good question. So are you comfortable working on your own firearms? Yes, on the gunsmith level. Yeah, I have done it when necessary. Just YouTube stuff or the negative. I got to assume that most people are going to be comfortable. So I wanted to give them a spectrum that was within our actual realm. I was going to think about adding something new, and I didn't put it in the email, even though I totally could have, because I thought about it this morning. I was in there cleaning up my gun room, so one of the questions we'll have in the future is if you have a gun room or not, uh, maybe even a whole show on our gun rooms. Not necessarily tours, but just talking about or, gun rooms, because I'm guessing we've each had gun rooms over the years, right? As Or,
1: or at, least a a, older. at least a firearm-centric man cave, I guess, right?
0: Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Like I, I said, know, I've, I know I'm seeing that have, so it's a little bit different yeah. for me, I guess, than having to share a whole house with somebody or share the house with somebody.
1: Well, I know people that have, you know, their their gun room also doubles. They've got a sofa and a big screen TV, and they go in there and watch the game. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, it's, it's no, a little because more because to
0: it No, because yeah, mostly people that got gun rooms. So it's, it threw me for a loop when you said that. I'm like, oh, yeah, there are probably people that don't have gun rooms. <laughs> but no, I'm used to people that have like a dedicated gun room or – May yeah no gun rooms yeah gun rooms maybe the garage sometimes if you're married or something mm-hmm. trying to think i mean i guess i must know people i either know people that either have something like a gun room or nothing you know then it's just the people have like oh i've got guns in the closet type of thing mm-hmm. or like right you know, my, or, or say yeah okay so yeah. um but uh but what I was gonna to add to the show is a show and tell because I found something while I was digging around looking for stuff selling on eBay and I was like, Well, oh, I bet you nobody knows what this is. So uh I'm gonna add show and tell to the show if your guys are done with it. And then that means if you got something handy today, grab it and we'll do show and tell. But uh, we'll do some kind of stump the chump type of thing, see if we can stump each other with weird stuff that we've got from our collections or you know that we've I don't know, just found laying around. You know how stuff happens. You buy stuff out of a dollar box and you're like. Well, I guess I own this now. I don't know what it is, but I own it. You know, that kind of stuff. Or maybe get some, maybe stump the audience. I don't know. So we can play around with it. But I thought adding a show and tell would be interesting since uh, I'm sure we've all got weird stuff. Right. Gun related weird stuff. Uh, So... So far, we got seven votes already. Are you comfortable working on your own firearms? So keep jumping on that. We'll dig into that in a bit. Let's start saying hello to everybody who is showing up live. Woods, I mentioned this earlier, but I was muted. Woods was the first one to show up. He said he added four questions himself this week. So thank you very much for that. That is when I went over to the website and said, you know, we do have this website. It's been up there since 2007 or something, 2006, maybe and uh you just ask a question on there you can put your name if you want but it's not necessary and then uh we'll eventually try to answer them in different ways uh that's where woods put that question in other words uh mike white is out there uh Jay howell good afternoon uh is from texas so texas in the house twice i guess uh let's see then wesley jumped in uh let me know about the sound and uh comfortable with disassembling mc and ghost is out there rise of high power clones is there oh he was actually putting a question in there so let's star that and save it and work it for our next show type of thing um and we got a question or a comment from jay so we'll put that one in there the star do you want to hit these right off the bat since we started with that poll or do you want to wait for a bit Dig into some questions and then hit the poll with these gu- poll responses later.
1: Uh, yeah, let's clean. Let's clean up those when
0: we okay, we'll use those for cleanup. That way, right, more so people can it's vote it's, and comment. Yeah, exactly. Then that gives people a chance. Exactly. All right, So, uh, play with the live part there, and we'll dig into the database, can, which is quite, we can
1: crush. We can crush ghosts real quick if you want. I mean, I think it's that's an opinion thing um and i think it's i think it's nostalgia i don't necessarily think it's the design that's just my opinion
0: oh i was we can hit it but i was going to say i'm going to throw that into a poll in a future show that'd uh, be a good one we yeah. got the poll feature um but i threw it into the stars so we'll hit it here in a second i'm pulling this up um see how many we got so we got woods is four and then a couple of others so we do got some questions good The one, oh, the one you're talking about is already highlighted, huh? The rise of the high power clones. I got to think for a second. Okay. The last year or so because of nostalgia or because of the design? I see what you're saying. Now, what what are you saying?
1: Well, it's an iconic design that, you know, has been sporadic in being produced. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I see more as a nostalgia thing than people just love the design. I don't. I don't know so anybody you think that owns it's a, a bunch of high powers that they're like, "Oh, the high power is the most awesome handgun ever built." I, I don't know anybody that has that sentiment, right? Which would be uh, more well, here. You
0: tell me, because I don't. I don't know if I've ever taken apart a part of high power. If I have, I was like, "Uh oh," and then gave it to Shane or somebody to put back together because I did not, as <laughs> I wasn't i I'm not that kind of gunsmith. So, yeah. uh, um, isn't the barrel attached to the frame on a high power? Uh, so um, so wouldn't that make it inherently way more accurate for everything than uh, Browning des- uh, normal Browning design where the barrel has got a pin and it's flopping all around during cycling? Because that's why I would think some people are like, oh, high powers, it's not just the grip angle and the fact that they're all you know cool and made in Europe or whatever, but because of that. I thought they were designed differently. And now I'm just going, I'm repeating Bob. I'm basically, you know, what is that called? Like I'm uh, just using Bob's words here from being around Bob for so long because he's a big high power fan. But I thought the right. high power itself was just inherently a different design that was so much better than like a 1911 Glock, Beretta, all the other designs that the barrel flops around on. Oh hmm. I I I
1: don't
0: know. Maybe. I I mean,
1: maybe. Yeah,
0: maybe. So I put it in the comments. So it's one of the things I'm doing here is putting it in the comments. So poll queue for next show. A lot of shows won't edit their own video that you're in while you're in it. But we do because I don't care. I'm like that. All right. So then we'll keep that poll going. We'll get over to these questions. And the first one that came in. It's from James. Someone named James. This one came in on the 18th. Would a 5.56223 AR lower receiver be compatible with a 7.62 AR-15 upper build? So how do you want to hit that one? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So you read that as 7.62 by 39. Ooh, maybe. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm reading that right away as what 7.62 are we talking about? Because if he means 51... Right. But I'm, um, yeah, I need, I, to, li- I think I need you're, to listen. I think a little. you're right, though. Think you're right yeah. though, that he means seven six. Two, she means seven or no, James seven six two by 39. I think that he means that. In most, which case, yeah, most people would say yeah. 308,
1: right? Most people would say 308, not seven six two by 51.
0: Almost nobody says 51. Yeah. So I'm definitely yeah. reaching there, but yeah. But he also said five five six slash two two three. So it's, Specific ish Um, and then over here. Yeah, I mean
1: it it doesn't take much elaboration to address it either way in that you know so long as the cartridge fits and feeds through the magwell on the AR fifteen lower, you're essentially you're okay.
0: Yeah. I'm not a big fan of seven six two by thirty-nine ARs, but People still buy them and like them, so I'm guessing they must work. Otherwise, people would hate them. Back in the day, people they make them, people would they buy them and mountains. hate them, and then they'd quit selling. So they must yeah. work now. Yeah,
1: yeah, they've just worked out the kinks on it. I mean, every every just about every alternative caliber AR goes through that. You know what I mean that issue where it's, you know, it's, it comes out, it's all, oh, why do we need this? And then it's, Oh, we hate this. And, you know, they do well, have no, some issues they, here they and there, and didn't then... work
0: because of the mag was curvy and everybody was right. making a curvy mag with a straight pipe that went up through the mag well, and then it would not work. They'd bind up and not work. So, right. you know, whatever or they, I don't even know. I just knew that they had a bad reputation. I didn't have one, but right. uh, even the Colt ones were like that. But I think, Well, I'm guessing it's the magazines have changed because they don't really it was nothing wrong with the gun. It always worked. Uh, I don't think the AR-15 with its bolts like steel case tapered round, but it'll work. I mean, it's not made for it, but it's it's kind of like putting machine screws with us with a wood screw like, you know, it works. It just doesn't like it.
1: Well, and nowadays you've got a lot of different coatings, right? And a lot of different things that can help mitigate the whole steel case issue as well.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think they can probably cut things way more precise than back in the day when they kind of, you know, things would waver machine bits. You know, quality control was nowhere near where it is expected to be nowadays. Uh, Okay, so the next one is, so I think we can agree. If it's 762 by 39, yeah, then no big deal. The upper hardly matters, I don't think. Uh, And then if it's uh, 308, you need a physically larger upper. So the next one is, I have not how do I get this to show up? I have an older Irma work, I think that's how you say that, 85A that's designed to fire Smith & Wesson 32 long wad cutter. I know I will have to load each bullet by hand because they are too long for the magazine, but I can also fire Smith & Wesson long uh, lead round nose bullets or, I know I will have to load each one by hand because they are too long for the magazine, but can I also fire the Smith & Wesson uh, lead round-nose bullets in the gun? The casing is, is, the casing is the same length for both bullets. so That's interesting. So you know what we're saying here, or that I butchered that one? So the Irma Worky, or Irma Work 85, is some sort of a, it's 32 Smith & Wesson uh, semi-auto, and it has a magazine. And normally, it's designed to run Smith and Wesson 32 wide cutters, I guess. And this person wants to put in 30 Smith and Wesson long with a regular bullet, and uh just insert it straight into the magazine, or straight into the chamber, straight into the barrel. I don't know. Have you heard of this specific gun? By any chance, you have one? some of clover walked away or something but he's muted.
1: i am muted man i've been sitting here talking to myself um no i mean that's one i'm not i'm not familiar
0: with let's go look i'm guessing though there's nothing i've never heard of a gun that only works with 38 long wide cutters so it's probably 38 short or something else right like i've never heard of that maybe maybe 32 Smith & Wesson Long. I'm just going to go to Wikipedia. So it's some sort of uh, target-looking gun. Mainly sporting found with security companies, two calibers, 22 Long Rifle, and 32 Smith & Wesson Long. Hmm. Both versions have either blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, I never heard of it before. Where's Irma's made? Germany? So now we know a little bit about it. It's designed to fit 32 long wide cutter. Well, from those pictures, it's shooting 32 long, right? Like there was nothing in that Wikipedia that said anything about it. it has to be wide cutter. So 32 long lead round nose are basically what was in that picture. So I can't imagine why it wouldn't just shoot these things.
1: Well, because a 30, the overall length with a wad cutter is going to be considerably shorter. Keep that in mind. Yeah, but I,
0: I mean, I hear you there, but I just don't see that they made. I guess unless it's a third, an eighty-five A is a specific one that was made specifically for wide cutters. Let me go back to the Wikipedia. But you know, when I'm looking at this Wikipedia, it's saying Smith and Wesson Long,
1: but also it being a target pistol, right? That, that lends itself to the wad cutters, right? So, mm.
0: But I mean, it doesn't say nothing in here, at least, about, you know, probably needs to use only wad cutters because the magazine can't hold anything longer. Plus, usually wad cutters don't feed well in magazines, right? You want trudicated or round nose in order to help guide that thing up the ramp. Up the ramp, correct but um or at least you know transition from the ramp to the chamber or whatever it needs to do to funnel it in there when I mean, wad cutters can work but typically you're shoving wad cutters into a bolt or into a revolver mm-hmm. but we're just looking off of wikipedia so I, I don't know if they stumped us or not but um yeah, I, so. I just don't agree with this i know i'll have to load each bullet by hand because it unless it's possible do you think it's possible that somebody made a wad cutter specific magazine that has some kind of a block or something, so that when you're using wad cutters, they're not shuffling all around in there and getting. Yeah, I guess it could be rim lock, because this is going to be a cartridge with a rim. Right. I just that's an interesting one. The casing yeah, is the same. The only other issue would be if it seriously is a gun that's chambered for wad cutters only, it may have a chamber that wouldn't accept a bullet, a you know a projectile, or it would you know it wouldn't seat well. Well, I
1: mean, to- you're yeah. What you what you're looking at is potentially, and it being a target, I don't think the the spring, I don't think the spring, the slide, I don't think would necessarily be heavy enough to do this. It depends on the crimp that's used on the cartridge. But you know, if you're talking about a longer round nose projectile and that chamber is somehow cut uh, for the lead, talking about the between the chamber and the rifling. Um, it's specifically cut for wad cutters, like you're saying, and you try to jam that longer projectile in there, what it's going to end up doing is pushing the projectile back in the case, which increases case pressure. Um, that's going to be, and that's going to be problematic.
0: And that would be, again, if if you had a strong enough spring to, cr- you know, to cram a bullet into a case. I mean, it's possible that some right. bullets are in there lightly enough, but, you know, typically it takes an arm and a, leverage on a press to jam that in there so
1: yeah i've been scouring i've been scouring pictures to try to get an idea i mean i could i could pretty much tell you if i had one here in my hands unfortunately i don't
0: yeah i would think that's the way to test it is to get along uh whatever the standard round and then get a wad cutter and drop the wad cutter in there look at it make sure it fits flush you know you're making sure that's good to go then test that second round and if it doesn't just fit you could take the barrel out of this gun i'm sure Take the barrel out of the gun and set that semi, you know a normal projectile round in there, and if it don't sit flush in the case, then maybe it's just a barrel that's like you're saying somehow for some reason specifically designed for wadcutter Have you ever seen a barrel for any type of gun that was specifically made for wadcutter
1: uh I have seen barrels specific for specific um projectiles, yes,
0: well. For wide cutters or for for wide
1: cutters, no. But I have seen, I have seen that, especially when yeah, like some are
0: made for inner, 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 what's the word? Yeah, especially when
1: team. you're dealing with target stuff, right? Specialized things, and I've seen it with hunting and stuff too.
0: And sometimes to make it so that the the wrong one won't fit in there. But this isn't that kind of thing. This is more like an older caliber, and
1: and this looks like a potential. fixed barrel. It being a target. Pistol, it should be so. Yeah, uh, but you should still be able to lock the slide back, drop it down in there, and and be able to tell. Thing is, I mean, as long as it as long as it fits properly, yeah. I mean, you can hand load and, and make it work. I don't know why you would do that, but you, you could.
0: <laughs> to each their own, I guess. Yeah. So I'm going to say we're then going to be able to offer a real satisfactory one on that one. But uh, most of the time we have better uh, explanations because this one was just. A little bit missing some data, I think, and a specific gun that we're just not familiar with. Next would be, from Woods, asking, was Luger the Sam Colt of Europe? So That's an interesting theoretical. Do you know enough about Luger? I,
1: d- I do not. Um, man, I won't lie about that. Um, I don't know enough about similarities or differences between either either of them to be able to really to say that. My my tendency would be would be to say no. Um how long was how long was Luger around? When did he actually start contributions to the final? Oh, that's election? a good
0: question. Um after he left the military, uh blah blah blah, hang out with man liquor, blah 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 employed by something of berlin blah 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 was sent to demonstrate his hugo borscht designed weapon or no it wasn't his somebody else's hugo borscht weapon rejected by the u.s army of course uh, then he came home and got all mad and made the nine millimeter patented in 1898 he was born in 1849 so he was 50 something years old when he invented the nine millimeter wow Holy moly. It was a success for both Luger and the blah, 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 German, whatever it's called. His contract was canceled in 1919. And then he started to sue him. So they immediately were like, nah, we're keeping this Nazi caliber for us. And he's like, oh, I'm going to sue you. And then he lost all of his savings by this time. He was decorated by the uh, Order of Prince Danielo. Interesting. So, no, I don't think so at all. So... Um, have you ever read into the history of Colt or whatever? Colt's a little, bit,
1: a little bit. Not a not a whole lot, but a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard to miss him because he's he covers a lot of things and he did a bunch of different stuff and they're all interesting and crazy and uh, add to the you know the the character of Colt or whatever. It seems like Luger was just some rich guy. His name was. <clears throat> wait, he was born to in Steinark M. Bruner to Dr. Bartholomew von Luger, a surgeon. And then his family moved to Italy, where his dad taught at the University of some place. He grew up with an, in Italian as a second language of course. Then he hung out at the gymnasium all the time. After graduation, he went to Vienna, where he studied at the Wiener Hansel Damme. And then that was the Vienna Business School originally. And then he went to uh, a reserve cadet in the infantry regiment in military service. He was promoted to corporal. And his good marksmanship brought him to the attention of his superiors, where he went to Camp Brokenfart, where he became an instructor at Camp Brokenfart. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Maybe. There, his interest in automatic loading systems began in 1871. So when he was 30-something years old, he was promoted to lieutenant and then married some Josefika Dupnik. Mm-hmm. They moved to Vienna and ate sausages, maybe, and then they had three kids. And then he became an account management or account manager for the jockey club the top social meeting point in Vienna. And then when man heard about him, he collaborated on some rifle designs. And then, like I said, he made the nine millimeter when he was 50 something years old. Right. All right. So then let's give Colt the same courtesy.
1: Well, before we, while you're looking that up, um, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind with me, when we talk about, you know, American, firearm inventors and european firearm inventors and why i think that europeans are far behind the curve on in a lot of ways is you forget we're in america right so we have the culture of private firearm ownership yada 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 what you see a lot of in european firearm inventors were more militaristic you know, it was commissioned by the crown, or or higher ups, or as you said, the wealthy, and you know things of that nature, right? Kind of like, wasn't to like have
0: permission, or or the like, right. the had social class to be able to even think about.
1: It. Right. Yeah, we're here. It's like blacksmith in your backyard. Go for it. You know, start cranking out guns if you've got a better right. design. Do it. You know,
0: that's a great comparison. Yeah. So let's see, when was Ruger? Ruger was 1849. He died at 74 years old at 1923. Ruger was 1850 or 1814, and he died at 47 at 1862. So they didn't really live at the same time. Colt was like a generation before him. Um, Colt's first two business ventures, Patterson in New Jersey, making underwater mines, both ended in disappointment. He moved to Texas, or no, then the Texas Rangers ordered a 1,000 revolvers. Then uh, other people started using them. Then he died, one of the wealthiest men in America. So right off the bat, this guy died suing German Nazis for stealing his butt, and Colt died, one of the wealthiest men in America. Um, He invented interchangeable parts. This guy farted around at Lufenswaffe or whatever, making 9 millimeters smaller and more narrow. And Colt's over here making sophisticated methods of interchangeable parts. And then eventually Eli Whitney stole that concept and gets all the fame. But basically Colt ushers in the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, Um, Mim parts of the day, basically. No, no, no. Mim parts are faking metal made out of powdered metal and just squirting them into molds. This is the idea that make all the parts exactly the same back then they were making them by filing i mean they were
1: well that's filing, why i said you know? well, that's why i said of the day right
0: okay post, but i mean you know. it wasn't to reduce costs in manufacturing it was to you get had... to another level of refinement where your your machines were i mean there was no such thing as a machine that you could take it apart and put it back together everything was a work of art so it was literally a new evolution not just well i think of me i think of mim as a cost saving thing i guess i don't think of it as like some other ways where i guess not a production means right like it it does i guess well anyway i think of like the 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 inexpensive mills as being a big jump in right 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 um well i mean interchangeable parts
1: was a was a huge thing even interchangeable parts that had to be fitted was a huge thing right just the
0: concept of them was a big deal was a leap yeah
1: Right. Think about, if you've ever had it, I've had some some older firearms, some more rare stuff, things you can't get parts for, that I've had my machinist friends, you know, build a part for. And man, when you have a situation like that, and we're talking modern machinery, I'm talking to friends that have mills and lathes, and they're machinists by trade, right? We're not talking about a blacksmith in the 1800s, you know, uh, when you go in and you're like, hey, I need this little curvy, weird, clickety locking piece that's broke, like... And, you know, part of it's broken off and lost and it's like, okay, you know, and it takes them two weeks to, and, and several tries, right, to get that part built to, to mimic it or, or reproduce it and figure it out. And that's with modern technology. So imagine being able to go in and reach into a bin, even if you had to file it just a little bit, right? Imagine back then being able to go in and reach into a bin and not have to go through all that process of trying to figure something out. Pretty, pretty cool.
0: And think about how that affects, uh, what's the word, like diagnostic and gunsmithing. Like, you know, yes. you go to actually being able to repair stuff instead of having to re-engineer everything all the time or, figure, yep. you know, backwards engineer everything. Just right. to put it in perspective, too, Colt uh, was uh, one of many children. He went By the time he was 11, uh, he was already uh, getting in trouble for reading his book about science too much, and most of his brothers and sisters had died or were very sick. So different kind of life, like you were saying, summarized it pretty good that, you know, coming from different roots for sure, but super involved in science and, you know, a generation ahead of Luger, who copied off of him basically, uh, you know, was actually uh, paying attention to science of the time. So he didn't even realize he was about to be making all kinds of breakthroughs and stuff. He was just absorbing what was out there. Uh, so by the time he was 15, he's working in his dad's plant where he had access to tools and materials and started fiddling. He had already made a couple of different uh, inventions, and we all know that they eventually got on a boat because his dad got sick of them or something, Suck them on a boat for a while, came back after figuring out that the boat was a way to make a revolver that locked instead of just being sloppy, and then started shopping that around. Then he had failures, and you know the first gun wasn't, even though it had interchangeable parts, it wasn't um, all that popular or whatever. His, he tried to make mines and stuff, and that didn't work. He ended up selling, uh, I think he's the one that came up with the copper wire that Morris would actually use to run lines underwater to, for telegraph lines. So Colt trying to make his his water-based mines ended up helping Samuel Morris to make tele, telegraph lines. Like I say, he, he made a bunch of money because he was super entrepreneurial doing all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, I would say that Colt was... I would say in a lot of ways very uh, American and very like what we all think of as U S you know, his story adds to the others like him that make the U S what do you call that from your own, you know, make it, make it yourself and make your own success type of thing where root Luger was um, more of a been, you know, was at the able to do it and was better than the other people who just stood there who had access but you know, cream of the crop of the cream of the crop type of thing. Like, you know, it was going to happen. They needed a caliber over there anyway. He's the guy that made it, but you know, they also had other people like him. It would have been made, but it's easy to blow him off. Cause all he did is make nine millimeter. So what do you think was Luger the Sam Colt to Europe? Nope. Yeah. me mean, I'm saying, nope, who would be the Luger of the United States? Do you have anybody that you could think of as the Luger of the United States? I wonder who made a caliber that was some sort of uh, like West Point or something, some sort of fancy who, whatever. I can't think of, I'm trying to think of all the different caliber people. Most of them are like cowboys or machinists or like people that are decent. Nobody was just like, oh, I, I went to school for being a bureaucrat and then I went to West Point and then I made a caliber. Like Browning made all the good ones, and then, I don't
1: know that there is. And like I said, I, I think I think because of American culture, I just I I think that's a I think that's a tough question to ask. Who's the American yeah. luger? Is there I, think, I, I don't think there is.
0: of Europe? I don't know. I don't know enough about Europe.
1: Right, right. I don't think the cultures are similar enough to to do that. I mean, there's a lot of people similar to Luger. Look at Glock, for example. Right, but we're talking about in Europe.
0: So let's jump over since they're gonna start getting silly over here. Uh, let's go over and see if there's any uh, comments or questions coming in. We did have a, we do have a poll going uh, over here on the uh, YouTube side. What does it say? Come on. Uh, are you comfortable working on your own firearms? We got 18% of 11 votes at this point, 18% saying yes, I am gunsmith level, good. Then 55% saying, yes, I have done it when necessary. And 27% saying just the YouTube stuff. And nobody saying no. So that's interesting. I don't know if I picked the greatest spectrum there, but uh, I kind of, you know, if you make the questions too wrong, everybody kind of has to answer the one unless you're saying you're a gunsmith. I kind of wanted to have like, I am a gunsmith. And then I'm not a gunsmith, but I'll do whatever I want. And then. I don't know if that came out that way, but I think that, uh, well, you're probably more of, you. you, have you ever taken a gunsmith class before, an actual gunsmith class? Yeah. Well, I've
1: set in on on stuff.
0: Because taking, you know, going to school for something, like going to school for anything, like going to school for working on your car or going to school for making stuff in the kitchen or for anything, anything you can imagine. If you go to school for it, they're going to teach you. You know here's the good idea here's the bad idea and here's the stuff that'll get you killed or here's the stuff that'll make it away you know they're going to tell you all the different versions where figuring it out for yourself you're going to figure it out for yourself so you may be doing something the easy way or you may not you'll never really know because you're just doing it right so that's one of those things there's there's a couple of things that i don't know you know you i'm trying to think of specifics maybe taking the base plates off a of glock mag I mean, anybody can get one off of there. But if you listen to somebody who knows how to take it off of there, like, you know, it's explained to you by the people who built the thing, then you never struggle and you just always have the base plates taken off. They're kind of a combination lock of, you know, squishing and pushing. Most people can get it off of there, but they end up scraping it or swearing at it or whatever, and then not understanding it. And that's one of those things where once you go to a gunsmith class, you start to learn where all the little intricacies of all the different little nuances are and you spend a lot less time swearing and complaining and and that's one of those things where you know what are you going to do like some people well there's no point like you're not going to go to gunsmith school and then get a bunch of experience just so that you can save five minutes on a project whenever at some time you know what i mean so it's just not practical so it's kind of like six of one half dozen of another is that the way to say it as far as in my opinion of happened to uh Or, I guess, having the experience of a class versus um, just experience doing stuff? I guess you haven't broken... Have you broken a bunch of stuff? Tools or parts? Have I? Over the years? Yeah. Not really. I mean, it depends. Usually, I'll break stuff at a shop, you know, when you're working on guns that are not your guns. But I've broken stuff on my own guns before, too. Just not knowing how to take them apart or whatever. Well, it's usually... Ignorance Ignorance is usually...
1: Ignorance is usually the thing. Um yeah, and I actually, can't yeah, tell you so. I I can't tell you the number of, of like comments I get in videos and people are like this company's trash or this model's trash and then they turn right around and admit that they don't know how to do something, right? Or they're using something wrong or they don't understand. And it's like, so you're gonna trash the company and you're gonna trash that model when you're the you're the problem. I mean, if all you need to do is like, I get the frustration, right? Anytime we have something that breaks or doesn't work, we're going to get frustrated. That's just the way it goes. Uh, we're humans, but you got to settle down and simmer down and relax and breathe and go, okay. First question is what am I doing wrong? Right. And then once you know, you're not doing anything wrong and it's legit broke or, you know, you keep having that issue. Okay. Then it's time to say, there's something wrong here. And, you know, all companies, regardless of, you know, pick whatever huge company that has, you know, a 99.9% quality control rate, you know, there's still a 0.1%. And if they're making thousands and thousands and thousands of things, whatever that might be, sometimes things happen. You know what I mean? And, and people just, you know, it, People tend to take it personally a lot of times. <laughs> it's like, it's not just just, just chill. And the biggest thing is to make sure, you know, research, educate yourself, and figure out if you're doing something wrong first. And odds are, most of the time you are. That's the sad thing.
0: Yeah, you can't. I mean, you unless you get the – you can't get the experience until you've got the experience. It's one of those catch-22s. Right. So right. with the Internet, that helps a lot. I mean, I'm saying most of the stuff I've had issues with was back in the day before there was any reference anywhere. You'd have to either go to school, ask a gunsmith, or try it. And most of the time you could try stuff because most guns copy off each other. You know, they're, they're some version of each other. Then you right. get to the weird one once in a while. So I was going to say, and I thought of a good one as you were explaining there, but the uh, Mark II, the Ruger Mark IIs, or what, Mark ones, Mark IIs, but for a while before they got easier, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, are, they, they
0: complicated force. Yeah. but yeah. they're not
1: for people that regularly you know messed with them they could fly through them oh, really of course quick, yeah once you know?
0: figure it out but just compared yeah. they're so different than other guns that it just oh, yeah. takes time to, to figure it all out yeah definitely yeah all right so i'm going to try jumping in well so that was the poll now we're going to jump into the questions over here if anybody's got them but i'm going to jump to show and tell here without tony uh we, we end up going faster i guess we don't get three insights, we just get two. So I think by math or whatever, we're going quicker. So I'm gonna turn, oops, we need to do turn that back on. I'm gonna try this whole show and tell thing. So I found this thing. Now I can finally get it to show up. I found this thing while I was cleaning up and I'm wondering who knows what this is all about. Clover doesn't get the answer. So. If anybody out there has any ideas what this thing's all about, I'll just say yes or no. Clover, do you know what this thing is? I
1: could oh, I muted myself and so unmuted. I could I could take a guess.
0: Well, no, I don't want you to guess. I just was oh. curious, like if you knew exactly oh yeah, I know what that is. Oh the know, or no, I, I have know. no
1: idea. No, I don't know exactly. No.
0: Okay, so good. Then this is a good example of it. So this will be the show and tell. Uh, I'll just uh, we'll keep going and then I'll let people who are watching live uh, look at it. Um, Maybe because I'm trying to make this into a podcast, I'll also let Clover attempt to describe it before we uh, go back to whatever, the tell part of it, I guess. So trying new formats out. Thanks, everybody, for being patient with the new formats here. Jumping back over to the questions then. We said hey to everybody, I think. If we missed you, we'll come back. We got Ghost Question in the video for, ne- or in the description of the video for next time. But the Rise of High Power Clones, we'll be using that one. So, next one was Jay saying, Actually, y'all are talking, as y'all are talking, I'm doing some work on a 1911 cart barrel, cylinder and slide brand fire control group. Oh, wait, Nine millimeter, 1911 cart. Barrel, cylinder, and slide. Is that what he's saying? I work my personal...
1: What is it Sam? He works on his personal stuff. I
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Is cart a brand of a barrel? I you know, guess so, yeah. Okay. Now, that's a whole nother level, and I don't even know if YouTube... There must be YouTube channels that get into 1911s, but oh, yeah. one that deals with 1911s is how, back in the day at least... It was kind of like working on a car, right? It was kind of like keeping any kind of machine going. Yeah, you, know, you could work it out of the box, but if you wanted it to be a little bit faster, if you wanted it to be a little bit smoother, you wanted it to do something, you'd fiddle with it. You could change springs. You could file things. You'd stone stuff. Um, you ever got into any of that 1911 stuff or with any of the guns, getting into I filing, never... getting into it, all that?
1: Um, I, you know, mm, eh, <sighs> filing you know i don't know about filing anything i certainly have done my fair share of like polishing on a lot of different things so you know the competition the bookmarks we use for competition uh been a lot of filing work and stuff with those uh, stoning and filing um my ar triggers i've yet to buy an aftermarket ar trigger um i buy some spring kits is normally what i would do and then uh you know stone them out and, and do all of that and they're you know they're phenomenal i don't i don't see the reason for my use anyway um you know going with any of the, the aftermarket ones that are that are out there um and you've got the satisfaction of doing things yourself and you know and all of that which can which can be fun so yeah there's there's certain things i've had to do i mean i've certainly had to you know i have filed stuff I, you know i got to back up i mean there are times when we talk about buying a part um there are times that I've built parts. Like I took a uh what was it? I can't even remember now. It was something I had that was a revolver that had a mainspring snapped on it. And I was able to take a um it was a single action revolver. I can't even remember what brand it was now. Um, but it's one of the things where I wanted to fix it quick, you know, or whatever. And like the local gun shop had um he bought out a a, a big, uh, a, well, he bought out a gunsmith that was in business for, I don't even know, probably 25 or 30 years and uh, got all of his parts. So he's got bins and bins and bins of parts. And anyway, dug around in there and found what I think was a spring out of a Colt single action. And I was able to do some filing and, um, you know, and make that spring. It's still working to this day, so. Um, so yeah, I guess I have done some actual filing and stuff as well.
0: So, but the way you describe it, that's not like I'm going to buy, Oh, like unbranded raw parts and make them fit, or I'm going to buy X brand and fiddle with them until they're perfect. And that kind of stuff. And it sounds like uh, Jay is saying cart barrel is a brand. Uh, They are decent if you fit them the proper way. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, Or that's what I was referring to. And that's one of those things like, uh, Somebody like my friend when I was a kid bought a uh, hot rod, in te- you know, a, a gutted hot rod, like a real basic mm-hmm. uh, no-frills hot rod intentionally so that he could fiddle with it constantly. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and that was the whole point. He could buy a faster car if he had the money or if he saved up for it, but he wanted to build the car or whatever. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a, that used to be a – I don't know. I, I would. Is there any way – what would you say – the 1911 enthusiast, what percentage of the community, what do I got going on here? What com, what percentage of the uh, community or of the um, gun show, I guess I was going to say, I guess I need to flip the page to that, then it'll quit being weird. It was freaking me out. Um, what percentage of the gun community or maybe the industry, what do you think was 1911 enthusiasts? And I'm going to say nineteen seventy. Oh, wow. When, when um, we were little. I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't know either, but I'm going to say probably 25%, right? There had to be... If semi-auto the, was
1: not dominant, I can tell you that much.
0: No, no, but if you liked a semi-auto, you had a 1911, or one of yeah. a million. But you know what I mean? Like It had to be pretty much every... It was like the Glock. It was like whatever there is to the CZ. It was most everybody who had a pistol was getting a 1911. Either because it was cheap and they had it and it was given to them or something. Or, you know, they were just everywhere. They were they were after the war. They were everywhere. Uh, right. Or because nobody had the hundreds of dollars to buy a revolver necessarily unless you were really into guns or whatever. Right. But even if you were into guns, you were into 1911s. Like, who was not it? it was like, yeah, I got my 1911. I might not be into it as much as my friend, but I have one or two. Right? Everybody, right. Had, them. Everybody had them. So I'm just thinking they had to be something. I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm guessing double what it is now more than that I guess in the 70s that's kind of hard but you know even back into the 90s like 1911 enthusiasts was a pretty big chunk there would be a couple of tables at a gun show that were just 1911 stuff Mm -hmm. just everything you could think of around 1911 same way like AR-15s are now that would all be 1911 stuff yeah
1: Yeah, because you
0: you could get a 1911 to make it look military. You could make a 1911 look like a cop carry. You could make it look like a detective carry. You could make it look like something else. You could make it look like a competition gun. You could hunt with it. You could just have it as a CCW gun, even though there wasn't a lot of that. You know, you could just make it look cool. Like there was a lot of people that would just hot rod them and make them look freaking cool, smooth them all out, melt them for the heck of it.
1: There was was not a lot of legal CCW stuff.
0: Oh, that's a good point. People—that's what a lot would, of people you don't put, realize carry on your own property. So they would, people would yeah. go to work, put their gun in their pocket, and be at work carrying legally. And then they would put the gun back in their lunchbox and go home. You know, they weren't carrying all the time, but they were carrying at work. They were carrying wherever they were at, you know, hunting or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I know people that, and we're talking about, with the exception of the goofy carry restrictions. I mean, law-abiding citizens. You know that. I know old timers that you know, we're talking 70, 80 years old. Uh, And, you know, it's like, you know, when Texas got first got concealed carry here or whatever, they were like, so I've been carrying for 40 years (laughs) or whatever. you know. So, you know, it's like people's been doing it.
0: As long as there's been pockets. That's one of the reasons pockets exist. Those don't want to talk about it, but there's a reason there's pockets in jeans.
1: Right. Well, also, and it's the whole nature of, it's the whole nature of consult carry anyway out of sight out of mind if i'm not causing trouble right with it if i'm not whipping it out and brandishing it and doing right. other things then who, who what whose business is it honestly and
0: who finds out is the criminal who tries to rob you and nobody else
1: right exactly exactly
0: Uh, let's see so then going through some of the other questions that came up from scrolling here we had um, mc saying gun parts and oil on the dining room table no longer goes over well with the wife and kids dedicated gun cleaning assembly area to keep oil off the tablecloth so i think that we're talking gun room and man cave and that kind of thing and that's definitely an issue if you don't have a dedicated place to clean and stuff that's why I think it's often shoved into the garage or wherever you're doing the lawnmower and, uh, you know, all the other type of tasks like that. Right. Uh, CNT is saying I can fix about anything, but need to work on my finishing, like gluing and wood finishing. I know a lot of people that started that way and never even considered the mechanical stuff, right? They just start with the, what a lot of people would consider the aesthetics or the finishing areas or not so much that they cared, but like my one friend bought a, a gun super cheap because it was all screwed up. Somebody left it on a wet carpet or something. So he kind of, you know, had to go buy a kit and start stripping it down and start applying new stuff just to try to, you know, salvage it, get it back to a, a consistent blue and finish. Right. Jay is saying, used to uh, be said that the high power was, the 19, was with the 1911, should have been, he appreciates and loves both or i'm assuming that's he and uh yeah i agree that's the thing high powers you listen to bob and stuff back in the day when there only was the 1911 and most of them were surplus and sloppy or cheap rip-offs so inexpensive rip-offs of inexpensive guns just you know let's make a gun that everybody's familiar with uh it was a battle of the cheapest type of thing that's why there was such a thing as upgrading and fee- tightening the tolerances and stoning them and stuff. So the high power was designed to not be a service gun. It was designed to be a, you know, a different kind, I guess. Anyway, that was this, the theory. That's what everybody would say. Of course, there's a certain amount of, I don't think they were ever cheap. So once you owned one, there's a certain amount of like justifying your purchase and right, right. YouTube said, or Smoky Santa just—I'm uh, just doing the YouTube stuff. I replaced the chassis on my buddy's Marlin 22 and assembled a few ARs. I think that's changing for sure too, with the YouTube and the people being comfortable with uh, learning from YouTube and not needing a Smith to, a gunsmith or a licensed or an established or like reputable person to give you the tips. Just you know, people are comfortable taking tips from each other. I think there's some danger, not danger, and maybe potentially danger, but more like just risk, I guess, of wearing things out or breaking parts. Because again, if you're not familiar with the real deal, you could easily be pushing something against a washer that's not supposed to be. It still gets the job done, but you end up eventually ripping your washer, where if you would have just done it with the right procedure, the washer would have never taken any stress. You know, there's just little stuff like that that by knowing – usually from the manufacturer taking some kind of official armorers class you know having that level of awareness of stuff you end up taking a couple of armorers classes that are like that where they tell you every little thing like you, you read every single man, page of the manual plus some you end up having a different when you look at a gun you end up having a different set of eyes you know what i mean you can go oh wait a minute sure you could unscrew this but i'll bet you if i unscrewed that first it would take the tension off the spring and it wouldn't shoot across the room And, you know, that's one of those things that's tough to, you know, not every gun has those little things, but some of them do. It's one of those things. I think Woods was saying 380FN. I think you were trying to guess what a show and tell is today. Anybody else have any guesses on the show and tell? Did I miss anything up there that Clover saw? Or Clover, do you see anything that I missed in there that you were looking at? No, I don't think so. Okay, so then going back to the show and tell, flipping this back on. Uh, well, how would you describe what we're looking at here for people on the podcast?
1: Uh, it is a uh, baby pistol of some sort. A vest pistol. You know, Some would say a pocket pistol, but they called it a vest back in the day. Um, I don't know if
0: it shows up well with the thing, but it says Rome. Oh, RG3 okay. On that yeah. side. And then an Germany an on this side.
1: So that's going to be a uh, Saturday night special of a uh, 1908 or a baby browning basically
0: it does look a lot like a baby browning right but there's no slide i'm not i'm not like artificially playing with that there's no slide instead it's got this little door that you'll eventually see here it's got a safety so when i put it into the safety off right see what happened see what's happening and then after a certain amount See what happened? So now this thing comes out. See is that like a little
1: starter pistol?
0: Yeah, exactly. So this is... in the auto-style
1: starter pistol. That's interesting.
0: You put blanks into here, upside down. They go in... Oh, and that should show you in here. There's... Am I going to be able to show you? There's a channel, and at the bottom of the channel, you'll never see it. I guess. Oh, now you will. At the bottom of the channel, is it gonna work? You get you get the idea. That thing is clicking, the firing yeah. pin is coming up. So let's get this back out of here. You've load this thing with blanks, and it's it's marked up, it won't fit in here except for the one way. All right, put it in and now flip the door back up because you don't need that open. Put it in there, and then the first time shoots the first one. I'm guessing it blows up into there and just makes the spark come out the front. Two. Three, four, five, and eventually poops the little thing out,
1: pull
0: it out, knock them all out, and I guess you could carry a bunch of these around, huh?
1: So I, yeah, I didn't know such a thing existed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen starter pistols before, but this one's pretty neat. So this, I'm guessing, is German, right? It's a Rome super nice. I mean, you can just tell by looking at it. It's blued, nice, precise. I mean, it's fairly decent. You can, Everybody thought it was a gun, right? And yep. then this one same thing but made in italy and eig Not right the import. and it, eig imported it zamek and then plug in the barrel see way different like way easier to identify this thing as something else right like oh that's probably a starter crystal because nothing going on up here problem is i don't have the equivalent of uh uh mag for this thing or whatever this thing's called, so maybe I'll 3D print something for this, but yeah, that's uh probably the couple of dollar one and this is more like probably a fancy one for right. guess, a more money than that. Yeah, so that's the show and tell today. A little Rome RG3 starter pistol in 22 blank.
1: Now that I'm looking at that, you know, the you look down the at the bore end of it, you're like, that's an awful big bore for such a small. <laughs>
0: such and there's a no small mag or nothing it, but yeah. Yeah, like if it was a bread or something, yeah, that would be like a thirty-two or something, in the size of a twenty-two short.
1: Yeah, wow. Yep, I've seen a lot of starter revolvers. I don't know that I've ever seen any
0: like that. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing is that normally the little revolvers. I don't know what the point would be. Maybe to redirect, or maybe just to be cooler, or maybe because I don't know. I can't imagine. Maybe there's a noise thing. Like it directs the noise better. Let's see. I don't need this on anymore. All right. So uh, did you got anything that you wanted to, uh, to have handy that you could do for a show and tell? I guess I should have asked you before when we started. No, this. I don't have. No. And I don't have a okay. camera. Available Future right shows anyway. or whatever. Even if you want to throw a picture out, you know, we can do yeah, something. Yeah, we do that. that. All right. Cool. So yep. um, the next one. You'd be still good. Uh we're right yeah. at the hour, but we still got a couple of questions here. So yeah, let's nice knock way.
1: these out. Yeah.
0: So the next one is what's the best way to come out as a nine millimeter fan? <laughs> uh I don't think probably a, a trick question. There's never been a fan of nine millimeter, is there?
1: Yeah, I think there are. I think there are. I think probably probably a pink polo shirt probably would, would do it, I'm sure. Uh
0: Flip the collar up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe some skinny jeans. Probably some uh, old school Converse sneakers or something. Uh, look, really looked the part.
0: Have like a iced tea when you're drinking.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, nine millimeter fan, you would, you would. I mean, if you're nine millimeter fan, let's be honest, right? We're talking to European. You like your tea hot. There's no way not can ask it, out about it
0: that way. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah they wouldn't have the ice team. They'd look yeah. they they'd look down at people with ice team.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Uh who is Webley?
1: Who is Webley? Webley is Webley. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Who is Webley? Like uh
0: Well, I'm guessing he means the revolver guy. That's the only thing I know he, Yeah. You make right. uh, did he make a um caliber also
1: uh, there's calibers named after him right
0: well it's I don't know nothing I, I didn't even look at this one for the uh, inventor's deck for whatever reason I didn't even think of this one I guess so it says Webley and Scott is an arms manufacturer in England Webley company was founded by William Davis blah 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 and his son-in-law who was taken over by his son-in-law Philip Webley who began producing percussion sporting guns? The manufacturer of revolvers became they became famous. Oh, became 20 years later, he started doing his guns, they became famous. So basically, it's a guy that ran a gun place and then it took it over, and this was in Europe.
1: Right. Now the Webley revolver was developed by Vincent Fosberry. So it's the Webley Fosberry. And then it was produced by Webley Scott. So that's kinda interesting that the Bosbury guy that invented it or whatever didn't have any didn't have any uh, role to play in the production. Well, I guess not really. I guess that's not really that strange.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But so yeah, yeah, it's, it's half uh, yeah, of the guy that started the thing in England that became. What is it just Webley Scott now? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know if it still is Webley Scott or not, but they're still around. But it may be a thing like Henry, you know, or whatever, where it's like. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Where the name just exists, but it gets passed around or purchased. Yeah, the yeah, right yeah, there's 455 Webley. I knew there was something with caliber. Thanks. Yep.
1: Um, really. No,
0: Jay was saying that too.
1: Yeah, Webleys are used in a uh, in a ton of movies.
0: Yeah, I mean they're neat. They're the top, the big break opens, and they're kind of iconic. They're big, and I'm sure for a while at least they were super inexpensive because they were war production. So. Yep then they were also awkward and goofy giant high bore axis and stuff compared to an american revolver so anybody that was trying to get something like an authentic western revolver wouldn't go near it you had to Mm -hmm. be like some kind of trying to portray a british cop or something to want one or a british soldier.
1: but anyway for a while or just the (laughs)
0: indiana jones (laughs) fans yeah yeah exactly that's what i was gonna say they're probably used a lot because they could put them in a movie and throw six of them away in the filming of the movie nobody cared because they were an expensive revolver like a. Russian thing but you know like everything yeah. more production falls out and then they become kind of rare and then people see them in movies and they get all bought up and they're gone yeah
1: I can't remember I think it was back in November when we were at Tulsa somebody bought a Webley I can't remember who it was and I was mad because they got a good deal on it and I didn't see it first
0: buy it because they wanted a Webley so bad or buy it because they couldn't let it sit there at that price
1: um, probably I'm thinking because they couldn't let it sit there at that price. I'm thinking, cause I'm thinking it was probably Mr. Wright.
0: That'd be interesting. Uh, or sure Mr. Wright
1: know. knows, he knows his stuff, you know, of course, right. But he knows his stuff. So oh he no, he usually buys
0: what he's looking for though. Or no, Mr. Wright, I was thinking of, uh, Connecticut. You're talking, yeah, I'm thinking of him. So yeah. yeah, Mr. Wright is probably, yeah, aware of what's a good deal in purchasing for an investment. But that would be an interesting conversation to have, also, since I'm thinking about how to do some show and tell stuff. Um, the guns that we purchase, not because we necessarily like them so much, but because why not? It was you know way too cheap. The person, Most of the
1: ones I own are that way.
0: But yeah, yeah, where you're like, well, I don't, I wasn't looking for this, but I'm not an idiot, and this is a third of the price it's supposed to be. So guess who yep. I own this gun now? But then the thing is. Some people sell those. I don't I don't know if we're allowed to sell them anymore looking at the way the new laws are written. But um <laughs> uh you know what I mean? Like those I definitely have a couple. I mean I've got my one that I always complain and I always say, you know, one time I bought some twenty gates accidentally, so I went out and bought a twenty gates shotgun because I can say I did that, right? Um, but yeah, that would be an yeah. interesting show because I think the theme shows seem to get a bunch of views. Now I don't know yeah, if I, uh... people like them more or they just watch them more often or something
1: after about i would say within within double digits within the first 10 that i that i bought um there are very few i'm not going to say there's none but there's very few after let's say the first 10 that were you know cognitive making you know long-term decisions and research it was like oh here's this it's an excellent price it's a no-brainer because i can enjoy it and you know if i need to flip it i can um, you know, and then there for a while, um, you know, my, my one of the perks of my local gun shop is being able to basically finance <laughs> uh, interest free finance because you know, if I want something, it's like, okay, well, you know, that we don't want it here, so take it home and just pay us every week when you come in until you get it paid off. Like, okay, so you know, you can imagine there four or five weeks or every few months or whatever it was, you know. Uh, just picking up something that you know was interesting. There, it's like, hey, this is interesting. I, you know, I'd like to have this, and they make the purchasing, you know, of it super easy. So why not? Why not? Would, let
0: me take a break there just to say that's a great strategy. If you've got a shop where you have any kind of relationship, try describing that situation to them. And uh, the reason for that is if you're by, if you're at the gun shop, think of it. If, if they if somebody approaches them with a an estate or a collection and they'd like to sell the whole thing. Maybe they added an inherited, they got divorced, you know, whatever. I just want to sell these. Well, I'd like these four, but I don't want all 10, right? They're going to say, see, I'm going to the pawn shop, right? Because I want to get rid of all 10. I'm not going to six trips. So if they know that you're the person who'll buy that weird stuff or that goofy stuff, and they can say, yeah, sure. Then it makes the gun shop, just gives them a different, level you're a resource now and if they've got two people like you then they can never hesitate they can always say yeah yeah yeah, i'll I'll take that collection and now they appreciate you they're going to give you those guns probably for nothing i'm not even kidding like they will just give you those guns sometimes because they know that once in a while they can sell you one and make you know they can offset whatever they need to do and stuff so yeah that's a great relationship to have and stores can definitely some the right store will appreciate that some stores ain't into that but some stores will really appreciate that Right.
1: Yeah. And I've got, you know, I've got my my local gun shop, the one I always call my local gun shop, which is the one that I I do the vast majority of business and stuff through. But, I mean, I'm friends with tons of them and, you know, it's not uncommon they'll call and they've had somebody come in and they they, it's not even on the shelf. Like literally the people got their money and just walked out the door and they say, hey, are you you know, still interested in this or that or the other, something they knew I was talking about at one time or whatever the case may be. Or maybe they just think that it, it's something that I would like, you know. And, and I don't know how many times, you know, I've got that call and, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, an hour later, you know, I show up and it's like, you know, they they're making 10 bucks off of it they're like yeah we gave and and i don't know i never questioned it because the price is too good right (laughs) but you know it's like i'm giving them 110 bucks they said they gave 100 bucks for it you know maybe they gave 50 i don't know but either way it's worth 200 so it's like that's a deal for me so i'm not gonna argue um but yeah it's a quick flip you know for them when they when they got people like that you're right people that come in and it's like man you know Spending a hundred bucks on this, right? And it's sitting potentially for six months or a year or whatever, right? In my case, it's not a good investment of my money as a business owner. Spending a hundred
0: bucks like for all it's like think of the marketing when all those customers are coming in and see that gun and it's over, still there over, and it's low yeah. quality. Like yeah, oh yeah, yeah, turnover,
1: turnover can kill you. Uh, but if you've got somebody you know that will give 110 120 bucks for it, you know, you offer them 100 bucks, you make a call, it's sold. You know, and, and um, you know, every gun shop around here uh, that I know, they've got literally dozens of customers, right? I'm not alone in that. They've literally got a network of customers that are regulars and, you know, the vast majority of stuff that gets sold, that's how it gets sold. It's not stuff that's on the shelf. Stuff that's on the shelf is primarily new stuff. That's, you know, that's coming in. It's new inventory. It's not the used stuff. Or oh, use it's the use. cream
0: of the crop that comes in where, you know, this grand true. comes the in and right stuff and saying, hey, you want this grand for 40 bucks. It's like right. yeah. little weird stuff that you're getting for 40 bucks. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sometimes it's good stuff. It just depends.
0: Well, that's the thing. Exactly. Especially if it's like, hey, we just got 70. I should be saying we've got 17 Garans in, but. This one is like not that good, and we'd rather not even have it with the set or whatever, or for whatever reason they want us to pull these four because they don't want people to know whose collection it is. So I can't even put this one out. So you know, I mean that happens. People well, or like, maybe oh, it's sell these, but I only want you to sell seven, and you have to hold the other ones for two years or get rid of it some other way because I don't want people right. knowing it was my collection that you're, you know, they're, they're looking at.
1: Yeah, or it's like, hey, we've got eight Garons here, right? We can sell, we can flip six of these Garans to six regular customers for this price and make our money back. And then whatever we sell the other two is out of the shop for, which is going to be a higher price, is straight profit. So I know people that, that I know gun shops that buy lots and stuff, uh, like you're talking about estate lots or, you know, uh, sometimes um, evidence, whatever things from, uh, police auctions and things um, and they'll do that pretty pretty regular it's like you know hey we you know we, we're gonna make all of our money um you know back selling to these to these regulars you know we paid a hundred bucks a piece for these you know their work Three hundred plus a piece. We can sell them for two hundred to these regulars, which is you know cheaper than we would retail them for. But then we've got five guns left over that these regulars don't want that we're going to get full retail for eventually, and it's all profit. So it's it's just a business mind. It's having it's any business is going to be that way.
0: Right. So any, small, just, any
1: any small business. Let me back up. <laughs> any small business is going to be that way. Big business. Yeah. Back. You don't go
0: to the Cabela's or the Bass <laughs> right. Pro to do that necessarily. Right. But I yeah. think there is. Well, I don't know. I, I want to. I don't want to pigeonhole nothing because I think that, um, the Cabela's do have some room for the uh, local, uh. Yeah. If stuff.
1: there are any, if there if they're a big chain store that deals in used firearms, there's no doubt the gun counter guys call their buddies and stuff when things come in.
0: Well, and that they're going to be able, but then also good chance that there's somebody that's interested in it, too, because some people will bring the stuff to Cabela's and it's a lot of traffic. So I don't want to write them off. But yeah, go to your locals, too. I mean, be aware of the big ones, but the locals are where it's at, especially for um, I don't even know what we're talking. We're talking the idea of trying to get inexpensive stuff uh, or rare and hard to find. Uh, your locals are going to have more of a network that cares about having customers where your Cabela's is, is going to be a, more than likely who shows up with the most cash. Most often that's right. going to get the first phone call. Right. Anyway. So uh, with all that said, I think, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and that's
1: you. a good, that's a, uh, it's a good strategy. What you brought up earlier with things setting on a shelf. So that's one thing I would do. Um, Talked you about mean, go like, in and look
0: for the stuff that's getting stale and dusty.
1: Yeah, so you know if you're into your local gun shop for you know every week for you know months and there's something sitting there, it may not be something that you you know have been looking for, but say hey, you know I noticed that's been you know on the shelf for a long time and that's a very valid play with folks. Go hey, I noticed that's been sitting in there. You know what's the deal? You know, and they're like I ah, just you know nobody's been interested. And like, well, you know. What do You take for it, what do you take to get it out of here, you know, and sometimes you know, you can get a really good deal that way because they again they want to get it out of there. Because if you've noticed it sitting there for months, other customers have too. And when things sit for months and months and months, it looks like things don't sell, and that's not good for business.
0: All right, since we're going in this direction, let's also throw this out there to make this even more practical. If you just go in there and let's say it's, um, I don't know, let's I'm going to say something I like, so like an NAA revolver and it's a used one and it's a little goofy for whatever reason nobody's buying it and it's sitting there and you've noticed it now for a while and it's not bothering anybody it's little it's and it's priced reasonably but it's still sitting there right it's not like a a fire sale or nothing but you suspect it's been sitting there long enough that it might turn into a fire sale but you also don't need it because it's a stupid naa you already have one or ten and you don't need it right Mm -hmm. but uh now you do need xyz you came in there to buy X, Y, Z, you need X, Y, Z, you decided to buy X, Y, Z at this store, you go over there and you go, look, I want X, Y, Z. And I know that this is whatever reason, you know, we get the best deal going. Now let's put some gravy on that deal. See that little NA revolver over there that I've been eyeballing for a while. Here's the deal. Like I want that one for 40% of what you got on the price of it. Now they're going to be like, yes, get the F out of my store. Yes, yes, yes. Here, take it. You know, yes. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying, or like a holster. So anyway, that's how you leverage cool stuff at a store. You don't just go in there and be like, "I want half off this thing." They're going to be like, "Okay, see ya." But if you go, "Hey, I'm buying stuff now. Let's start. Let's start the haggling. I want this and this, this and this and this." And you do, and off of something, give me some something off of something.
1: and, And let's be honest, if you're a regular and you've spent literally hundreds and probably thousands of dollars with that local gun shop, you can go in and say you know, Hey, it's been sitting here a couple of weeks or, you know, or I just want it. I've done that. I'm like, man, you know, when did you get that in? Oh, you just got that in a couple of days ago, man. I'd really like to have that, you know, what's the best you can do on it. Right. And they'll genuinely, you know, I don't ever question when I say, what's the best you can do on it. And they give me a price. Most of the time I walk out with it. I mean, it's, it's something I'm super comfortable with and there's, there's no, there's not even any haggling. Right. And it's not sticker price. It's never sticker price. And so, you know, it, yes i agree with what you're saying the more you can buy at one time and not even talking firearms but whatever accessories or other things uh, um maybe
0: it was a a thousand bucks or a thousand rounds of ammo right and you're like oh now's the time to buy that thousand rounds because i'm getting this revolver quick cheap too but it
1: can also matter if you're in that gun shop every few weeks buying something
0: right oh no yeah you always buy something every time you go into a gun shop always buy something not if you're in a like the one at the walmart who cares but if you go into that local shop yeah that's a great time to buy those extra earplugs uh, some extra lube or something see if they yep. got just gun cleaning kits like, you know if they don't buy something for uh you know reloading or something dig
1: around in the used bins of holsters and magazines and speed loaders and things right i do that pretty regular you know, there's, um, like, we'll a, there's like a, there's like a $5 bin. I think, I think is what it is or something. And there's multiple bins are like milk crate style, style, tote looking things right over in the corner that they just throw holsters. And like I said, various mags and, and all now, kinds you of like things. If dollar bins,
0: buy stuff out of $5 bins. If you like dollar bins, buy stuff out of dollar bins. Like right. you want to make them go away, ignore them. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, Let's have a show sometime on just, Gun shop etiquette, hanging on at gun shop's gun shop strategy. Yeah, yeah. Gun, shop, gun shops. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, I uh, had a conversation on the Mondays. I try to do interviews as much as possible on the Monday podcast and on the Daily Gun Show podcast. And I had Toby from gun, Cape Gun Works out of Massachusetts on this week, and uh, well, we're going to be doing a show uh, once a month focusing on gun shops and shooting ranges and on industry and stuff from like the shop point of view and we'll definitely include some of the stuff into that one going forward too. Cool. Oh uh, let's see. So now we have the last one for the day. What does neck down mean? That one's also coming in from woods. Oh okay. thanks for sending a the bunch. So we're talking cartridges and guessing.
1: That's a good basic question
0: you hear it all the time so like systems and such is a neck down cartridge or is it neck down from this or what is that one neck down from
1: it literally has shoulders on the cartridge it's in it, cuz a lot of cartridges neck down in the sense that they get smaller from the base to the uh, to the cartridge mouth right base to mouth they get smaller that's pretty common um but when you've got a steep graduation from the base to the um to the mouth and it has actually those angles and those shoulders on it that's a neck down
0: yeah like a mountain dew bottle it's you know wide and then it necks down to a spout instead of like a can or something um I'm looking in here. I, I never thought about it with the shoulders and it being the neck. I wonder if that has something to do with it.
1: Yeah, I think I think being a necked down cartridge is is it's got a shoulder because you've got shoulders, you've got a neck, right? I mean, it's like it's got. A, I don't know.
0: Different. There's got to be some exception to the rule, but I mean, yeah. well, it's if,
1: not. I don't know of any cartridge that has shoulders that has a shoulder that doesn't have a neck.
0: I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's somebody <laughs> but, who yeah. did it just to do it or something, I'm sure, and then named it. But, yeah, aside yeah. from just the total exception to the rule, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, they have a whole weird bunch of different definitions. So I was trying to find if there was some actual definition. But I think taper is another way to think of it since we're trying to describe it for a podcast. Well, but it's, it's not a, a taper.
1: A taper is a gradual. So a taper would be a straight wall. Straight wall a lot oh, yeah. of straight wall cartridges taper. You're right. They taper well, as yeah. they move
0: toward the mouth. That's a good point. And taper is actually a word used for like a seven six two by thirty nine, which actually does taper compared to a two two three, which is a straight wall. Well, right. I think two two three does taper. Yeah, right it place. can ta- it
1: can it can it can be a neck down cartridge and still have a taper, yes.
0: Correct. I guess I was going to say, the just the using the word taper as like an angle or a slant or a a sloped connection between two points. I was going for that angle that a neck down cartridge is one that goes from a full diameter down to a smaller diameter for the projectile with a taper. But that was a bad word to use because it actually does have a definition in the cartridge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your straight wall, your straight wall is base to mouth tapered. Your neck are base to shoulder tapered, and then it goes really freaking small after that. There's an extreme taper. There's two tapers in it, I guess you could say at that point, right?
0: Yeah, and I say like, I grabbed a bad word because we use taper for that other portion of the case where I. Then we can. Or then something. you can.
1: Then you can confuse people by talking about the crimp and how the crimp of the projectile is tapered. So yeah, it can get confusing.
0: Well, there's an angle on that. Yeah. So basically, what we're talking about, though, is that when you have a, a cartridge itself, the part that holds the, the powder and the part that uh, basically is the dimension that interacts with the, the the magazine or the cylinder or whatever, it's the part that you is the dimension of the bullet or the cartridge, the complete bullet, let's say. Holds and everything together, together. Yeah. Yeah. The brass part. And then uh, the part that the projectile or the projectile itself is often the same dimension. So like if you think of a, a 45 ACP or a 45 Colt or a 38 special or 357 or a 44 Magnum, these are all non-tapered. They're just the, the, the case and the cartridge are the well, same diameter and the projectile is basically clo- the same.
1: They're close, but yeah. They're
0: crimped a little bit, but they're effectively not neck down or anything. They're just straight. Um then you get your shotgun shells. They're all straight. There's nothing neck down in any kind of shotgun shell. But if you get to something like the 50 BMG or the 308 or the two two three, all of those have a fatter body, and then they neck down to the projectile, which is a narrower
1: oh.
0: center. Yeah.
1: Now, Jay Hal out there, he's got another definition of neck down which is is valid i didn't think about that but so you could take a necked cartridge um and neck that cartridge down even further look at for example a uh, a 30-06 versus 25-06 for example right uh, you've taken a 30 caliber uh in the 30-06 you neck that down to a 25 caliber even further and you've got you've just necked down a necked cartridge that gets confusing doesn't it
0: well that's a good point so what we've been describing is a necked cartridge. 22 2250
1: I'm sorry he, he brought it up yeah 22 I'm sorry
0: but what, what we've been describing is a necked cartridge which, what Jay Howe is talking about is necking down a cartridge so there's the verb and then there's the description what is it an adjective? There's a description, ah, so, yeah, right. So there's cartridges that are necked or necked down, however you want to say it, but then there is the act of necking down, so that's a good point. And it's can be confusing because of that, because we're using the same literally the same words to describe some different things, right. but that's just like saying, I don't know,
1: well, and and quite
0: Cartridge often, often or, and, you know, whatever,
1: yeah, so there's well, quite I'm
0: sure we do the same thing
1: quite often you hear people talk about the parent cartridge, right? They'll be talking about something and they'll go, oh, well, what's the parent cartridge? Well, so what Jay Howe's talking about with the necking down, that that's where the parent cartridge comes into play, right? Here's example is a 30 6 to a twenty-two two 250 So 30 6 would be the parent cartridge. And then once you go through the process of necking that down, then, um, you know, you create a whole different caliber, a whole different cartridge, right? Um, by, by necking that down. So yeah, I mean it, it's the and the and it would be the I don't know what you'd call it, but thirty out six in that case would be the parent cartridge. Yeah, and there's a lot of examples. That's what's really cool if you go back and look. Uh, there's a lot of cartridges that are. Everybody knows the obvious things. I mean, for example, five five six or two two three to three hundred blackout. Right. I mean, people see that. What's interesting about that, um, is the 556223 is the parent of that but then the 556223 has a parent as well technically right Uh, but what's i was going to say what's really weird is the necking down can go a different way because in the case of taking an existing cartridge and all you do is make the neck smaller right make the case mouth itself smaller to hold a smaller projectile you've got that then you've got cases that are completely mutilated essentially they're cut in half or they're cut super short they're cut back behind the neck for the example of 556-223 to 300 blackout you're going to chop that case right behind the shoulders a 223-556 and then you're going to run that through a 300 blackout die which is going to put the neck the shoulders and the neck back in it to a 30 caliber. So you've took taken what was a twenty-two caliber now, and you've chopped it and through the process of necking it, made it a 30 caliber. So you didn't really neck down, but you still went through the process of necking a cartridge, which is it I probably just way complicated things, but it's it's interesting the things you can do with cartridges. That's all, all I will say about it.
0: Thanking Woods for dropping some good questions today. Most of them were pretty good. I was just saying the last ones were kind of like some kind of European cheese, a little bit, a little bit uh stinky, but uh, still, still worked out. Put them on a cracker, they worked out. Uh, let's see. So, Jay is saying seven millimeter eight, 20 millimeter oh, eight. 22, 250, 257 Roberts, the list is the long the cartridges that started out and became production. Well, sure. I've mentioned a lot of them are like that. Yep. Basically, that's the only thing there can be, right? People figuring it out, deciding to do something out of what's available or making up stuff completely, right? Wildcatting or somebody competing for a military contract and creating something in the lab or, you know, specifically for a purpose for a right. specific gun or whatever. I think that's about it though i don't think there's has there ever been like a think tank that was just like hey we're gonna build better bullets for the heck of it i mean maybe i don't i don't, I don't know some anything. of
1: your some of your calibers has come about like that somebody just wanted something with a certain specification in a certain way uh, a lot of true wildcat stuff um, would you and, and what
0: 45 gap was that like somebody was like you know it doesn't oh. need to exist but we could sell maybe <laughs> right which right. up this and there oh okay i, think, we call I it. think
1: i think glock just wanted their own cartridge and now that they got it i don't think they'll probably ever want that again but um
0: well that was a different era that was an era when there true. was 376 and 40 smith and wessons and everybody thought everybody needed their own cartridge or at least you know yeah. why not yeah yeah
1: um you know i think about you know when you when you talk about it, i know guys that are like oh man what if i had this case head right cuz i think a lot of a lot of people wildcatters they approach the new cartridge or whatever cartridge they're trying to design they approach it from a firearm schematic standpoint so they're like hey i can use an action off of this with a bolt off of this right and they're so they're like okay i need a 308 case head with a 357 magnum body neck down to 25 caliber right and so you know they 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 are they kind of have an idea what they want to do and they've run things through you know there's all kinds of programs especially when you get into reloading that take into account case volume and length and all projectile size and all this other stuff that can give you ballistics curves and things so they're thinking about it on a okay, the firearm that's going to fire this perspective and they need to generate enough pressure to make this work or to achieve whatever goals they're trying to accomplish. And one of the things that's cool when you're talking about, you know, taking something from the ground up, designing a completely whole new cartridge, which there's tons of them out there, um, is you can contact some of these brass companies and as long as you buy in a big enough bulk, and let's be honest if you're playing around with R&D on something new, you probably are going to be able to afford that average person's not but you know um places like starline brass for example um works for people pretty they're pretty good to work with people about doing one-off runs as long as you've got the the specifications right and all they got to do is feed those into their machine and and they're producing brass for you so it, it's not really as difficult right if you do a lot of gun of, of gunsmithing if you do a lot of reloading if you understand a lot of that thing and if you're into cad cam and and machining especially and understand those tolerances and angles and a lot of different things uh, it's not really that difficult to to come up with a with a wildcat even if you're not building off of a parent cartridge
0: I appreciate the riff. I've been looking for links to the chats that are coming up this afternoon and this evening. So uh, we've already got a link out there for G23, who will be uh, coming up here in about 87 minutes. Also, uh, a great start shooting school hasn't posted a link to their uh, live stream. But on Saturdays, uh, there's a consistent effort from uh, Brooke at a... Great. Start shooting school Uh, to focus on suicide awareness and prevention, knowing that two out of every three deaths with a firearm from a firearm come from suicide. Uh, Brooke puts a consistent focus every Saturday on how to have a more effective, more efficient conversation with others, both on our side of the fence and the other side of the fence, but more importantly, just to help give yourself a breather once in a while and to uh, give you some strategies for dealing with all the stress and everything that's out there. Uh, And that can often give you uh, some insight for having conversations with others. And you'll never expect when those kind of conversations might happen and how, you know, how is the butterfly effect from that or whatever, right? How do you know when you know something effective to say to somebody and you're pretty sure you said it at the right time? Anyway. Thank you, Brooke, for giving people that follow that project those kind of tools in the toolbox, having some things to say. For example, when someone says, I'm having issues with thinking, clearly. Well, okay, did you have some physical industry or are you having some chemical imbalance? Like if your brain is having trouble, just like a sore leg, you're not going to go sprint on it or even necessarily run up and down stairs if you've got a damaged arm or a leg, I should say. So um, if your brain is having issues or you're physically having some chemical issues, then don't expect yourself to be thinking proper, you know, straight, you know, thinking 100%. And just giving somebody that kind of insight can be enough for them to go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I don't have to make any quick decisions this evening or anything like that, right? So uh, anyway, there's a couple of good shows that'll be on this evening. Definitely, uh, I recommend checking them out. Also, barbecue. Has a show about meat that might be on. I don't see anything in my list about that yet. Clover, do you got anything coming up? I noticed you had one, like coming up in a hundred years from now, or is it like ten days. When was that one? Next month.
1: Yeah, the sixth is the next one I've got scheduled currently with uh, Palmetto State Armory. Yeah, I don't have anything before then, sadly. It's summertime, and it's 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 weird in the summertime, or it has been at least post-COVID, so.
0: Hmm. anything else coming up any other regular schedule type of stuff or projects in the works
1: not not really i mean i've been working on uh, the last few videos um i've put out here and there um i've had great feedback uh, from the folks on in the facebook group and over on instagram and here on youtube on the community tab with uh you know throwing out different models of firearms they like and and enjoy and things like that and kind of using that and rolling that into some videos and content which has been a lot of fun because it's it's participatory right and it gives me other things to think about and uh other angles to to look at things and so it's just it's more interactive and it's those those videos have been a lot of fun i don't know uh if they uh have necessarily done well compared to other stuff or not but they it's a lot of fun to do that kind of thing
0: Tony as i mentioned is at some event right now here we go so i wanted to grab his instagram to put it out there normally i'd link to his uh his website and i will do that in the description of this video but uh you can, it's easier to, it's, you can, it's faster to follow Tony on Instagram. He's more, uh, what do you call it? He, he posts over there more, uh, than the website for now. So, uh, check out Tony who has, uh, another diversity shoot coming up on the 29th. So if he was here, he'd be plugging that one. That'll be, what is that Wednesday, next Wednesday. And that one's at recoil range. So Tony brings people together, gives them an opportunity to have an orientation and a familiarization with firearms, if they're apprehensive or new to guns or gun owners or the range or any of that. Uh, he does this in New Jersey. The recoil range is in, it is in New Jersey, yeah, that's right. Uh, he said he had to drive a couple of hours to get down there to do something today with, um, t- with Anthony. So, uh, but this range is in New Jersey. So the shooters are predominantly probably coming from New Jersey or maybe New York. I don't know the layout over there that well, but uh, all walks of life, all ages and all interests and all, you know, all these people come together and have this orientation and familiarization. And then those that are interested get range time. They pull triggers. I don't think he charges anybody, right? This is all Tony kind of facilitates getting donations and. don't think he's a philanthropist but he kind of arranges it so i don't think the participants pay for anything if not maybe a couple of bucks for the pizza or something
1: for what Uh, oh for the diversity shoots right yeah there is a cost involved um and he and he's spoken about that publicly and, and also privately to me uh about why and that's that he wants people that are serious and if it's free then um in his experience over the years uh, people don't take it near as seriously, you know, or, or see it as as nearly as important or the value, right? That gotcha. they're going to get. No, so, I'm But with that, that yeah. With, with that being said, it's not an exorbitant cost, and yes, he's not becoming a millionaire over it. It it barely
0: the ammo or anything. He still yeah, has. Yeah,
1: it barely it barely covers the cost, if that.
0: But the idea is to not make that part of the burden of having to figure all that out as a new gun owner, but instead know that there's this uh, pipeline, there's this avenue that's established that he's created. Uh, he's a Marine and uh, works in, uh, well, he has a job and does this as his uh, passion on, this, on the side. And he's done this now for, since 2015, so for seven years. He's got the process down, he's expanded it. He takes it to remote locations out of New Jersey on the regular at this point. He participates in the community and stuff. And normally he's in here chatting with us, but like say he's doing uh, work towards that goal uh, this weekend. So thanks to John, I'm actually wearing my uh, 2A4E shirt today, not because I planned it as, well, if I get this thing to at my like that not because oh am i showing on there not yeah. because i planned it as much as uh i probably have like a hundred of these shirts because they're like 10 bucks they don't cost or they're five bucks were they They 10 bucks they don't cost that much so uh they're awesome shirts they're high quality it's a cool color blue and when you go to events and stuff you're wearing tony's shirt right away uh definitely he designed this one for um going to rallies and different events where you want to be identified as a group then this gives you that ability with a message that says the two a four e diversity shoot. And then under, it says gun control equals racism, uh, which can get people. It's not necessarily the first thing they see on the shirt, but if they pay attention to your shirt at all, it can, you can see from their eyebrows or whatever, if they're interested in having a conversation, if you spark something that they've heard before, or if they give you that kind of nod, like, Oh yeah, I hear you. Because that's uh well, anyway, that's part of the modern evolution of the uh, issues that we've got going forward. That's a whole nother show. Trust me, lots and lots of other shows on what we've got coming up as far as uh, challenges. But Tony's out there bringing more people to the realm, more people to the community. What do you say more people to the table, more people to the range for sure. So thanks, Tony, for that. I think I dropped the link. we got Clover's website up here, but you can find Clover on all the different various socials. Um, you got to jump off right away. Let's chat a second after the chat. So I wanted to chat with you about uh, podcasts. Um, then we've got nothing else. That's it. The, uh, the uh, website is askgunquestions.com. You can ask a question over there on Saturdays. We will address them. Uh, Thanks again to the people that show up live. If you're listening to this as a podcast in the future or just watching it on one of the platforms out there, leave some comments. So we know you're out there. Uh, Let Clover know or Tony know on their platforms that you're watching them on Ask Gun Questions and ask them gun questions and then they can bring them to the uh, next Saturday chat. Gearwebsites.com is your source for firearms-based playing cards and books. We also have mugs, shirts, and posters with designs that we've made live. Of course, we have patches every Friday. It's Free Patch Friday. We appreciate your support. Thank you for shopping at Gearwebsites.com. Oh, snap. I just, are we still in here? Yeah, I just seen that, uh, jump over to here, that G23, who's up in just a few moments here. Remember, his chat is up in about an hour. Uh, that he'll be doing an Every Second Matters chat next Saturday morning. So does that mean, oh, yeah, Every Second Matters is on a Saturday next week or the next month and next week. So for folks that don't know, I'll take a second here at the very end to mention that Every Second Matters is uh, an awareness campaign started at the end of 2013. And ever since then, on the second day of each month, people that are interested in keeping – awareness and uh, focus on our, what our second amendment protects, uh, keeping that alive, do something on the second of the month. Uh, Some people host chats, some people do things like uh, maybe wear an empty holster or maybe they open carry or maybe they wear a t-shirt or maybe they say something to somebody at work. What we do is get together then uh, on the second and have conversations about what people have done over the month. uh, What kind of uh, challenges we've got coming up and uh, again, keep a focus on what that Second Amendment protects. So thanks to G23 for taking the baton next week and doing a morning chat for that. Getting back to the closing here. Thanks for watching. The guys and gals at gunwebsites.com
1: encourage you to take a CCW class every year. Practice once a
0: month and carry every day. Thank you for watching gunwebsites.com.